Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for taking the time to watch the channel. I greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to the rational cash flow investor. We buy stocks that yield high free cash flow. We try to pay as little as possible for them and own them for a long, long time. 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years. A lot of books that have been written about holding securities, equities, stock uh, for a very, very long time show that that is truly how uh, wealth is created. You are not going to build wealth by flipping and trading stocks or treating it as a number on a screen. A stock is ownership of a business. Business can be rocky year to year, let alone quarter to quarter. So you want to hold those stocks as long as possible. The key is to find a stock that you can own for 20 or 30 years and make money consistently over that time. That is what you do. That's how the big name investors like Warren Buffett, uh, Dan Loeb, uh, you know, you you name it, um, uh, Seth Klein, man, those guys have made money by owning single name stocks, focused portfolios for a long, long time. So let's figure out how we should do it. Let's take a look at stock. We pick a stock at this channel every single week to review. We're going to review a very, very boring stock that makes a ton of cash. And you can actually make north of 20% return every single year for the next decade if this math pans out. Give me a check. Let me know what you think. Uh, let's dive right into West Rock, which is this week's review. Ready? Let's get to work. So this week's stock is West Rock, ticker WRK. It was formed by the merger of two beasts uh, in 2015. Uh, that was Midwest Vaco and Rock 10. Those two, uh, they make corrugated packaging, corrugated cardboard, they make paper products. Um, and they merged, forming West Rock. And over time, I think the merger worked. People said, hey, synergies, we're going to combine, you're a great company. Uh, but overall, I think the, the, the market has left the stock behind, and, the, and the, the stock and the company has continued to perform over this time frame, and the market is not recognizing it. First things first, what does a um, what does West, West Rock do, and what are the products? Uh, corrugated uh, packaging is their primary product, and that is basically your Amazon box, the brown shipping boxes that are shipped all over the world, right? They produce billions of tons of this every single year. They manufacture it. They own the facilities. They own the hard assets. They take uh, raw pulp and paper. They turn it into the boxes, and they sell it to the Coca-Cola's of the world, the Unilever's of the world, the Amazon's of the world. Uh, to do their shipping. They also do a packaged product. So if you're looking at the Coca-Cola box or your cereal box, that cardboard is what they make. Uh, and it's a very specialized uh, type of manufacturing that they do. And I think they've been able to use that specialization to defend pricing, even if volume kind of comes down, they're able to jack the price. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We want to review this stock. And, and on this channel, we pick five key attributes that we use to value stocks. And why five? Why not 10? Why not 20? I've been in the finance game for 20 years. I'm a CFO for a company. I do that professionally. This channel is, is my hobby. And I've uh, valued a lot of am uh, mergers and acquisitions. I've bought a lot of companies for other companies. And when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, there are a lot, a lot of measures you can use to look at a business. Uh, how many of those measures drive underlying value of the business? Uh, I'll give you an example, something like a quick ratio, right? So you're looking at cash over assets. Uh, it's cool little cool little metric and something that someone probably wrote a PhD on to get a degree someplace, but it doesn't really tell you what the business does. 
Uh, and the five key attributes is what I've used to distill down some economics on a business that are fundamental to the long-term growth and long-term value of a business and helps me focus on what truly matters. And if I can pass those five key attributes, I then graduate into a greater degree of due, due diligence. So what we're going to do is we're going to value this stock like we do all of our stocks under those five key attributes. And those are the following. Number one, top line revenue growth. You want to see revenue growing. Number two, earnings growth. Enterprise level earnings. We use EBITDA as a measure, but you can use EBIT or operating income. You can use a lot of, number of uh, metrics. Just don't use EPS in my opinion. Number three is strong free cash flow. That's the name of the game. You want strong cash flow. Number four, low debt. We want debt less than three times debt to EBITDA. I'll explain later. Number five, a well-priced stock. And what is a well-priced stock, you might ask? It's simple but hard to find. It is a stock with a forecast that's conservative. And over time, you're going to outperform the market. What is the market? The market is the return of the S&P 500. It does, on average, 10% on every 10 years that you measure it, we're looking to beat that. So we want stocks that are 15, 20% expected return to give us a little cushion. And if I can buy a stock that's growing at a conservative forecast, cheap enough to where it's getting the, going to beat the market on a co combination of earnings growth and price appreciation, that to me qualifies as a well-priced stock and you graduate into a new due diligence category. That's how uh, I run my my money is how I try to train the analysts that work for the cash flow club to look at stocks. And that's how I want to teach you to do it. Um, like I said, I've been doing this a long time for, for companies and I want to try to give some feedback to the world on how to truly value um, uh, cash flow in this market. All right, let's take a look at West Rock. So West Rock in 2014, these numbers behind me are all as of their fiscal year in September 30th. So it's September 30th and back 12 months is their fiscal year. In 2014, they did just shy of $10 billion of revenue. 2015, they made 11 billion, and they jumped in 2016 with the merger of Rock 10 and Midwest Vaco to $14 billion of top line revenue. Follow that in 2017 with 14.8 billion, 16.2, 18.3, 17.7, excuse me, 17.6, 18.7 and 21.2 billion dollars in 2022 last fiscal year. That's an average annual growth rate of 10%. However, we know that there was an acquisition. So if I just look at them, the post acquisition revenue of about 14 billion dollars to 21 billion, that's about a 7% annual growth rate of a business that makes paper packaging products, which is not bad. Not bad at all, right? You don't need double digit growth rate on, to, to make an amazing investment. It's a matter of how much you pay for that growth rate, which is the underlying driver. Let's take a look at earnings. Now, earnings, we use EBITDA, that's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's a, it's, a, it's a jargon term that's used in the industry. It's not perfect, and it's certainly not a proxy for looking at free cash flow. It is just simply a way of looking at the operating income of a company, removing some of the one-time issues and non-cash items that companies typically face. For example, if there was a closure of a facility, or let's say they own stock in another company that reports on their balance sheet, this is a big Warren Buffett one, um, Buffett owns stock in Apple, 
uh, as an example, on his income statement, he has his operating income from all of his businesses, like the railroad company, sees Candy, all the electric companies, Geico, so on and so forth. And then down below, there's an equity investment return line that is the return on the securities that he owns in Apple stock. And that up and down of the market is pushed into his P&L, and that creates ambiguity in the annual up and down of the income of the business. Looking at EBITDA removes that because you're taking income before that equity line. Uh, and it helps us smooth out the year-to-year -year, um, operating of the business because we want a business that's going to be running for 10, 20, 30 years. That's why we're buying stock. So you want to kind of rise up above some of the short-term noise to get a more normalized, quote-unquote, uh, earnings. That's what EBITDA is attempting to do. It is by no means perfect, and a lot, a lot of companies use an adjusted EBITDA uh, where they add back all kinds of garbage. It's where EBITDA gets a bad rap, but if EBITDA is a true earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, those items, and only those items, or maybe a select few are added back, I think it's fairly clean and can be used. So in 2014, they made $1.5 billion on the $9.8 billion of uh, total revenue. That's roughly a 15.5% uh, uh, margin on that, uh, on that revenue, on, the, on that earnings. After that, they followed by $1.8 billion, $2.2 billion, $2.2 billion, $2.8 billion, $2.9998 billion. 2.7, 2.9, and finally $3 billion last year on the 21.2. That is a 14% uh, profit margin or EBITDA margin, if you will. And that is, um, that's gone from basically 15 and a half earlier in the decade to about, the last couple of years there at 15 and a half, 14%, uh, probably some cost pressures here last year. They'll probably have to raise pricing to offset some of that, but it looks like they're in this 15 to 15, 16% profit range over the last decade or so. That's been fairly consistent. They've been profitable every single year. They've, by and large, been able to grow their earnings and revenue. Earnings over this period grew at 9%. Again, knowing that there's an acquisition early on, if I look at just maybe 2016 and forward, so from 2.2 billion to 3 billion, that's a 5% annual growth rate. Mid single digit growth, no problem with that. That checks the box for revenue and earnings growth. You don't need high double digit growth. Often people pay way too much for that growth. You need uh, basic low single digit growth that is more realistically achievable and you need to pay a very cheap or reasonable price. It doesn't have to be very cheap. You just have to pay a reasonable price for it and you'll get a nice economic return. Okay, let's advance to the next stage. Let's take a look at enterprise value. How much is this business truly selling for? What is the value of this company? And when we look at enterprise value, the very first thing we want to do is look at debt. Debt, that's short-term and long-term debt and capital leases. That's the, what you want to not, you're not pulling total debt on the balance sheet. Uh, you want to pull the bank debt or the owed money, that th the obligations you need to pay on a monthly and annual basis In that if you don't pay, it would A, stop you from operating like the capital leases. If you don't pay your equipment leases, they take the equipment, you can't run the business. Or then B, uh, 
debt you use to finance the business, the operation, the assets. In this case, they have large industrial plants that have bonds on them. If you don't pay the debt on those bonds, the bank will repossess the asset and you can no longer make the revenue earnings that you're trying to achieve. That's why we're looking at debt. It's not all debt. It's only the debt that has kind of collateral attached to it where someone could seize the asset and would jeopardize your ability to run the business, which generates this revenue and cash flow. That's what you're trying to do. So $3 billion pre-acquisition, it jumps to 5.7 uh, to $6 billion post-acquisition, which is fine. They combined companies, earnings went up. Then that grows to $6.6 billion, $10 billion has a spike. Then they start bringing it down. They're buying down, down debt as after 2019 where it spiked from $10.4 billion to $9.6, $8.5, and finally $8.8 billion last year. If I advance from that, look at excess free ca excess cash. They don't have any excess cash. They're not like Apple that is storing a large cash balance or Google or so forth. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. The next thing we want to look at is market cap. Market cap is shares outstanding times average price for the fiscal year here at September year end. Market cap, $9 billion in 2014 to eight to 12.5 after the acquisition, 14, 13, then it starts dropping 9.4, 9, 13 is a spike and $9.5 billion market cap as of last year, basically flat as of pre-merger. Pre if I look, 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 look before Rock 10 and Midwest Vaco merged, the market cap was uh, $9 billion. Now, post-merger, they've consolidated, earnings are now higher, the market cap is $9.4 billion. So the, 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 the market cap has grown $500 million, but earnings have grown a lot. Earnings have doubled, $1.5 billion to $3 billion. Market cap um, is up only, what's that, single digit, 1%? Yeah, 1%, there you go. So earnings have doubled, market cap has not moved. I think that's a very interesting play here. That's when we start looking at the cash flow yield. Let's keep going, let's find enterprise value. Enterprise value is truly the value of the business. It's not what's traded in the stock market, what's traded in the stock market. It's just this column and it ignores the debt. And we're seeing that now in the financial markets where companies that have a tremendous amount of debt um, are struggling to make those interest payments and the stock is being hammered. You wanna make sure that this debt level is very reasonable. Enterprise value was $12 billion pre-merger, 13.8, This is kind of the peak, $21 billion of value. If you go back and read the merger deck that they released when Rock 10 and Midwest Vaco merged in 2015, manager came out like always management does. This merger's great, synergy, 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 synergies, AKA we're firing people and we're gonna be amazing, right? Well, what they said is they, they said that the, the EBITDA was gonna be about $2 billion and the, the, the combined value of the business was gonna be about $21 billion. They even quote the enterprise value in that deck, which I really appreciate. You can find it on their website, Rock 10's website. Go to the investor relations section, go all the way down to the years that are available. Look for the 20, the, it was like the last year that was available, 2016. 
and in there the investor presentation gives it to you. $21 billion is the value they said that, that, the, that, it was gonna, that the business was worth, and it took them a couple years to get there. If this is 2017, the, the acquisition was done in 2016, so it took the market a little bit to recognize the value, but eventually they did hit it. And then what happened is I think the market kind of forgot about it. As the tech stocks took off and, and the, the market just shifted, we have left the world of, hey, let's buy a beautiful cash machine that's an industrial business, it might be boring, um, and it's certainly not gonna be a conversation in a bar with your buddies. Like, hey, I own a pulp and paper company. Yeah, that's what I do. Like, nobody says that. They wanna buy Tesla, they wanna buy their iPhone, blah, blah, blah. What we wanna do is buy cash. And I think what happened is you got a business here that's $21 billion, the market kind of forgot about it. It's now trading at 20, at, um, $18 billion on a, on a market cap basis, market cap basis, it's gone from 14 billion to 9 billion, right? This is the equity, this is the section you're buying. So that is really, really interesting. Let's finish off the rest of this. So enterprise value, you add debt and you add the uh, market cap and you get the enterprise value. I always like to use the example of a house. If you buy a home, let's say for a million dollars, that house, is the enterprise value of the house, is the market price of the entire house, all of it. But you don't come out with a million dollars cash, you finance it, you go to the bank and say, hey bank, I want $800,000 of a loan, I'm gonna put $200,000 down. The $200,000 that you put down in your house is the equity value of the house, it's the market cap. The debt, the 800,000 is the debt, combine the two, you get the enterprise value. Very simple, but it's tricky, certainly in business world. Let's take a look at the debt ratio. So we like the debt ratio, the net debt to EBITDA. You wanna take the debt level, less your cash. This is how much you net owe, divide by how much you make on an annual basis, your earnings, your EBITDA. Why do we use EBITDA? Because the DA section is non-cash and when you're looking to pay back debt, you have to pay with cash. So just pulling uh, operating income or net income here expenses the D and the A, which is non-cash. And what we're trying to do is figure out how much cash can you use to pay down, pay down your debt. So when I divide these two, I get a ratio. It's basically the number of years the business has to operate to pay off all debt. And you want it less than three times. Why three times? Uh, senior banks, JP Morgan, Citigroup, uh, BAML, or the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, BAML, um, and um, what am I missing? Uh, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, those guys, the senior lending institutions of corporate America, Goldman Sachs, will lend up to three times EBITDA as a senior loan. After that, banks get a little squirmish. You move down the capital structure and you get into junior financing. After that, you get into mezzanine financing. After that, you get into preferred equity. After that, you get into equity. That is the capital stack or the triangle of the pyramid. The, um, the bottom layer is that because the most you can have, it's, the, it's, it's a chunky number. In this case, it's $9 billion. That is your senior debt. That's how much they'll lend. You want less than three times. You can see here that the company is very well aware of the three times leverage ratio. They stay below that. In fact, 2.9 times their most recent earnings, their quarterly earnings, they are targeting, I think, 2.7, 2.75. So they're aware of the metric. Uh, and it's a great benchmark to judge management's ability to run, to be fiscal, fiscally disciplined and run an organization. That checks our box. We look for debt, you know, low debt, checked. EBITDA here, let's, let's enterprise value to EBITDA. What is this? Enterprise value is the value of the entire business, right? That's the value of the home. 
and this business on an annual basis makes profit. If I look at the value of this business, the, the cost of the business, divide that by the annual income, I get a ratio. That ratio, enterprise value EBITDA, is a market multiple. Uh, market multiples are just ways that we use, the way um, we use to value relative value of a business. So it's earnings relative to the enterprise value. And I can use this measure to jump from one business to the next rather quickly. Certainly within the same industry, I can say something's cheap because it's trading for, you know, seven and a half times at earnings versus another business in the same industry might be trading at 10 times. You can say there's a disconnect there. Can I explode that disconnect? So what we want to do is over time, it looks like this stock trades in a range very tight. It, a high of maybe 10 times earnings and a low of six times. And it's currently around that low right now at six. So we would expect this stock to move up, the market multiple to expand over time as this stock approaches its average of seven and a half over the last decade. That's the market multiple. You can also use yields. People talk about yield or market multiple. They're really just the inverse of one another. If I take enterprise value divided by EBITDA, this is a big number divided by a small number, I get a whole number. If I invert this, and I look at EBITDA divided by enterprise value, I get a small number, and that's typically a yield. Let's take a look at free cash flow. Ready? Let's do it. So the cash flow statement. Let's take a look at where the rubber meets the road uh, and the cash flow from operations, the first line we like to pick up. So $1.15 billion of cash from running their business, what they generated in 2014. That grew to 1.2, 1.67 after the merger, one four, five, probably some post-merger cleanup, 1.9, 2.3, billion in 2020, 2.2, 2.28 in 2021, and 1.9 billion last year in 2022 for this company. That is positive and it is growing and it's number nine, verse, nine on the EBITDA and seven on the free cash flow means that the company, the accounting team is expensing properly cash costs on the P&L. You wanna see both free cash flow, or excuse me, cash flow from operations and EBITDA moving in the same direction, either up or down. You just want them to move consistently because that's kind of a accounting smell check between the two statements. Uh, CapEx, CapEx is what they put back in their business. So they run giant manufacturing facilities that are loud and messy and all have, have all kinds of pipes and gases, and they need to maintain all of that, as well as build new ones. That CapEx is exactly what they do. And it's, it's averaging over this period of time of about $700, $750 million every single year that they have to put back in the business. The debt payment column, the debt is the inflow and outflow of debt. If I looked at my last sheet here, this debt of $8.8 billion last year, that $8.8 billion is the total outstanding debt that they owe, plus capital leases. Last year, they paid down 453 million. So that's an outflow of the payment on debt. And if I add the cash that they made, 1.9 billion, uh, minus the nine, call it 900 million of uh, CapEx that they paid, that's basically a billion dollars. Then I made a debt payment out of that billion came 453 million. That left 611 million dollars of free cash flow to equity. This is the cash flow that equity owners like yourself and me buy when we buy a business. And this is what you value a company on. A company is valued on its free cash flow 
especially its future free cash flow. And the reason the stock market moves up and down, it's merely an argument in theory. It's an argument of what the market believes this number is going to be in the future. That's it. If I express it on a per share basis, I can take the shares outstanding, divide the two, and I get $2.33 out long-term. Uh, per share, excuse me, not long-term alert. Then if I take the share price and I divide the two, I get a free cash flow yield. Free cash flow yield of 6.5%. Now, interestingly, if I take the last couple of years, and I'm just going to, for fun, zero out the debt, uh, debt payment for a second. Why? Because this business has less than three times debt to, to, to EBITDA. They don't need to make that payment anymore. And I think that they're going to be paying out dividends and they're going to be buying back shares with this free cash flow. If their stated dividend, excuse me, if their stated uh, uh, debt ratio is roughly 3x and they're there, then the free cash flow the business generates can go to buyback shares, it can go to dividend, and it can go to acquisitions, or it can send the balance sheet, but they don't need to pay back debt. So to figure out how that how that is going to look, I can look historically, zero this out, and say, okay, what does the business produce on average? Well, it produces on average about a billion dollars a year. So in total free cash flow, that's cash flow operations, less capex, put debt aside because they don't need to make the payments anymore. They make 941 million, 1 billion, 1.5 billion, and 1 billion. So if I average the last three, four years, you're looking at 1.1, 1.2 billion dollars over the last four years annually that this business makes. If I divide that by the shares outstanding, I'm getting $3.63, $4.22, $5.47, and four bucks. So in this like 450, $4.50 cent range per share. I also noticed that last year they bought back stock. They went from 268 million shares to 262 million shares. And that drop of shares is them buying back stock. That's great. I love to see that. And it's a new trend. They had been issuing stock uh, prior to that It from, from 200, 259 to 268, looks like they're buying back. Let's hope that pattern continues. But what I wanted to get to, finally, in the end of here, is if I take their stock price and divide it by the free cash that they that they expected to generate, the cash flow yield of this stock for the last several years has been 10%, 12%, uh, 14, excuse me, 11% and 11%. That is a double-digit free cash flow yield of a stock that's a fundamental stock to the overall economy of America and the world. It's a very interesting company to want to own or put in your portfolio uh, that uh, has able to grow revenue, grow earnings, maintain low debt, and is kicking off a double-digit free cash flow. Let's take a look at what this means economically and go from there. Okay, the next thing we need to do is we need to forecast this business. We've reviewed the financials. It looks like it's growing revenue, growing earnings, has low debt, um, and has strong free cash flow, double digits. Let's fit double-digit yield. Let's figure out uh, what this business is going to do in the future. So if I do an EBITDA forecast and I just take last year and I say, I'm going to grow it at three to 4% over the next decade, which is roughly what the, it's actually less than what they've done post merger. They've only, they were doing 5% a year over the last six or seven years. Uh, now we're expected them to do maybe four and a half percent. This, this 3.1 billion turns into 4.6 billion. 
That 4.6 been at a six times market multiple. Remember, this six times multiple is what they're currently trading at last fiscal year, <clears throat> but it's below what they have been historically. Every single year of the last decade, they have been more expensive than six times. So I give it a six times market multiple, I get a $27.7 billion value for the enterprise. Less than debt, no cash, gives me a $19 million, excuse me, $19 billion market cap. Divide by shares, and I have a price estimate of seventy-two dollars and thirty-three cents for uh, for West Rock out ten years from now. If we do the same analysis on free cash, so free cash flows roughly four dollars and twenty-five cents is the forecast for next year. That's a four point seven percent growth year over year, and that's going to follow the same growth pattern as EBITDA for a long-term target of six dollars and fourteen cents will apply a 10% free cash flow yield out in the future, not anticipating that coming back down. Leave it up there for, for, for some cushion, and that's a $61.35 forecast for this stock. All right, let's combine these two and see what we get. So only now that we've reviewed the financials for the last decade, we've looked at checking the box on revenue, EBITDA, debt, free cash flow, we forecast the business. Now we can finally take a look at the stock market and say, okay, market, magic market. What is this stock trading at? Well, it's trading at $32 right now. I can buy all the stock I want for 32 bucks. And it's very important you value business before you look at the stock market. You do not want to look at the stock market first because it's inevitably going to taint your opinion. You're going to think that the stock market is right. And the reality is the stock market is often very, very wrong. Free cash flow methodology gives me $61 of value. An EBITDA market multiple method gives me $72 of value. I averaged the two just to give me a ballpark. This is all guesswork behind me. Says I think 10 years from now, this stock could be worth $66 and I can buy it right now at $32. Well, if I buy it at $32, what does this mean? So it means the current enterprise value is $17 billion. It's next year forward EBITDA is expected to our expectations, who knows if it's right, expectation of 3.1 billion. That's a five times market multiple that I'm buying this stock at. Now that's a lot less than seven and a half it's traded historically. Also on a yield basis, if I think it's gonna generate $4.25 uh, per share and I'm buying it for $32 a share, that's a 13% free cash flow yield that I'm picking up right away. That's a very good double digit free cash flow yield when you're buying a stock. Now let's put this into an IRR and figure out what it all means. So here's the IRR for West Rock. If I bought the stock at $32, I get this pro rata share of forecasted income. This is a guess, but it's the, it's the value you expect to own or the percentage of the free cash flow you're gonna own, assuming they don't pay down any more debt with it. You, you sell the stock at $66 over time. This net free cash, this stream of cash flow gives me a 32% annual IRR on this stock, which is outstanding, especially since the normal market will only do 10%. Now, I get a lot of comments on the IRR. Uh, a lot of people look at this doubling and say, well, that doubling doesn't mean it's a 22%. An IRR is a finance term. It's a time-weighted return of capital. Uh, so it's like an interest rate. Think of it that way. So you're going to put your money to work and it's going to sit there and grow 23% overall over time as you compound your money. If you want to think on, like on a cash on cash, you make slightly less than four times your money in total uh, over time. Now, 
If you're watching this video and some time has passed, maybe the stock's moved, I'll throw a little handy dandy uh, table up here. So as the stock price moves, it's currently 32, if it goes higher to 35, 39, it goes lower, you see the corresponding IRR given this same forecast. And it's a very interesting return here. 23% expected, who knows what's gonna happen in the future, do your own work, not in financial advice. 23% expected return for a stock that makes uh, packaging products for the industry. It's a very, very interesting uh, opportunity. Let's review the five key attributes in the stock. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, it's there, check the box. Number two, earnings growth, EBITDA. Yes, it's growing. Number three, strong free cash flow, check. Number four, low debt. Yes, less than three, check. And well-priced. Yeah, the stock is very well-priced. If I can put my money to work and make 23% or have a chance at making 23% annually for a decade. That's money well invested in my opinion. It's worth the risk of being an equity owner in general. So I would look at this stock. Uh, in terms of rating, we are gonna give it a good. And I wanna give a shout out to Thomas the Analyst at the Cashflow Club who created this one pager, released it in the Cashflow Club. And I wanna give a shout out to his great work and wish him the best of luck when he's sitting for the CFA exam. Go to, the, go to my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. You can click on the Cashflow Club and you can join it. I'll drop a link in the description below to actually Thomas's affiliate link. If you sign up with his affiliate link, he gets a little piece of the revenue for the work he does valuing stocks. It's a new program and it's a new type of program we have here. We have about five analysts that are working for us inside the Cashflow Club, creating these one pagers. And if you sign up with their link, they get to participate in the revenue as they get paid for the work that they do. Now, what is a cash flow one pager? A one pager is what I've tried to develop over my, uh, my investing life, a one page summary of 10 years of information in the company. Basically everything we just did is summarized into one page. And what I would do is I'd print this out and leave it on the desk over time. And you'd pick it up and look at it and say, oh, is the stock come down in the range? Uh, no, okay, let's say another quarter. Is it come down? Oh, it looks like the return on this on this stock has actually gone up. Maybe I need to look at it. You you dust off the due diligence. You look at the stock, but it's a way of taking the stock that you would always want to own, uh, but it's maybe too expensive. Leave it on your desk and review it over time. You can but potentially find a stock that's truly valuable. So we release these in the cash flow club about fifteen to twenty every single month that we're looking at right now with our team. Uh, check it out, cashflowinvestingpro.com. I also teach a course if you would like to learn a little bit more or how to do this type of work. Uh, you can look at the course. Uh, I give you this Excel sheet. We go through how to review, how to read 10Ks, how to look into uh, what EBITDA is, how to calculate it, how to calculate debt, how to come up with forecasts, market multiples. And I teach you how to be an analyst. It's a very well-reviewed course and I highly recommend you check it out. It will pay off over time. You should learn how to fundamentally analyze cash flow. Thank you for listening to the review of Westrock. I greatly appreciate the time. Uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button uh, or throw a like or comment down below. Let me know what kind of stock you'd like to review next. I'm happy to take recommendations. And check out the description of the Cashflow Club below. You can download a free one-pager in the description below. Uh, at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, very interesting stock, uh, Westrock, one of those basic fundamental stocks that appears to be a prize to outperform the stock market over the next, next decade. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.